Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock, episode number 43 for October 29. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer Ken Gagney. And I'm Captain Sabriel Maston. Yes, welcome, welcome to another season of Short Treks. Captain, are you ready to sail? I am, and you know, this season kind of sprung up on I me. I know, right? I did not realize that the fifth total Short Trek ever, which is the first one of this season, called Q&A, had aired until three days after it did so. I don't know if I was expecting some sort of an email notification or just somebody to tell me, but yeah, I'm like, oh, I missed this. It came out. Yeah, it came out during uh, Star Trek, uh, or was it uh, New York Comic Con yeah. or something like that? Uh, and I saw people talking about a short trek. I'm like, oh, it must be they must have previewed it or something over at the con. There's no way we can watch it at home. If you like, halfway through the week later, I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, there's a second one. <laughs> yeah, a lot came out of that convention. There was a new trailer for Picard. There was a new trailer for season three of Discovery. And as you just said, five days after the first short trek, another short trek came out. I thought maybe they were spacing them out, but apparently not in this one particular case. So we are a little behind in our recording. We're going to do just Q&A today, which debuted on October 5th, 2019. Sound good? Yeah, that'd be great. So I knew nothing about this going in. I suspected from the title, of course, that we would see the infamous recurring villain Q show up and that was not the case. So did you have any expectations? You know, honestly it did not occur to me even though Q like Q in the gray uh oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank on some of them now, but Q whenever whenever there is the lone letter or word Q uh it's it has to do with Q, the character. Exactly. And this time like, no, just Q. Hide in Q, Q pid. I don't know if they were teasing us or if they just decided to throw those historical precedents out the window and just do their own thing. I mean, it's technically a precedent, but I, I mean, I don't think it was actually a literal, like in the sto- in the show Bible, like we must do this and Q and A. It doesn't, yeah. Questions and answers sounds funny. <laughs> but for the main character of Spock, who featured in this short, that seems kind of fitting. I don't think he would ever call it Q and A. Maybe not, but he, you know, uh, did you ever know that uh, Leonard Nimoy? And Robert or um, John Delancey did it too. Uh, Spock and Q. Uh, yeah, was it called place? like Alien Worlds or Alien Visitors? I don't recall, but they were very entertaining. If you can find the recordings, which they're out there, that's how I listen to them. Uh, I think you can buy them probably on iTunes or something. Definitely check them out. I like the yeah, first I, one better. I have, I have them both. They were given to me by my friend Lauren as CDs, and I ripped them. And it was called Alien Voices, and there was a couple of them. And they were, as you said, hilarious. I, I really liked them. But today we are talking about Q&A. And I'm not going to let myself get too sidetracked. <laughs> <laughs> but why not? What else would Transporter Log be except a bunch of side quests? This is true, but then we're not, we're, we already record for episodes way longer than the episode well, itself. Well, especially with Short Treks. That's right. So I'll, uh, so I'll try to give a quick TLDR on this. We knew that there were going to be some Short Treks set on Christopher Pike's Enterprise, and this is one of them. And it is set even earlier chronologically than Discovery. It is 
Spock's first day on the Enterprise. So he beams aboard and is met by number one, of course, being reprised by the actor Rebecca Roman. And she accompanies him to a turbo lift and asks him specifically, ask me all the questions you can. And as he's doing so, they get stuck in the turbo lift for what seemed to be hours. And so there's a lot of questions to be asked in that time. And they bond, eventually they escape, and that is the length and breadth of the short trek. That's pretty much it, Captain. Yeah, that's it. Uh, uh, I'll quick get into it. People are like, why don't they just beam them out? Why don't they do this? Like, uh, You're kind of ruining the fun. It's supposed to be just a moment where these A site-to-site transport occurred to me as well, but that would just, as you said, that would just ruin it. Uh-huh. And so if you think too hard into it, uh, you're not going to just enjoy the moment. So I would say so. there was definitely a moment in this episode that was the climax, but what did you think of the episode overall before we get to that particular point? Oh, I had a lot of fun with this one. I mean, we got to see, they were doing... With this episode, they were doing a little bit of explanation of why Spock was had some emotion still in the pilot episode. Uh, he he like here he comes on, he's smiling as he's beaming aboard the Enterprise, and he gets on there and he's doing this like very cadet kind of or ensign like or reporting board duty, <laughs> like very loud. And uh, we're going to see a very young Spock who is still figuring his place out in this human centric world. When you say when he had emotions in the pilot, you're referring to the menagerie slash the cage yeah yeah the very first episode that was aired or i don't think it was even aired uh but no uh the very first episode the one that they made canon uh in discovery right and it was canon even in tos yeah 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 that's right just more canon (laughs) (laughs) it was canoner and canoner it was cemented. So canon. Yeah, because even in that episode, Spock was smiling at the blue flowers, which we've mentioned in this, in this podcast before. And he definitely had some emotions here. Like, he was just so excited for his first day on the Enterprise, which I, even at that point, serving under such a decorated captain as Christopher Pike must have been very exciting for him. And yeah, and number one noticed that when he beamed aboard and it's like did i see you smiling that was very disconcerting (laughs) yeah and he had some great questions for her as well although i was surprised that his first question was what is your name because you would think he would know everything about enterprise knowing who spock is uh uh, well she might keep it a closely guarded secret because it's it's been she for the longest time she was not named canonically uh the books had called her something and apparently in discovery season two Pike called her by this. I don't recall it at the moment, but it was seen as a moment where people were like, not sure if maybe they just misheard him. I think it was like an action scene. I can't recall exactly now, but um, here they canonically made sure everyone know her actual name is Una. Ah, thank you. You know, just now you've clarified for me. I misunderstood Spock's question. I thought he was asking when he said, what is your name? I thought he meant, who are you? Like, I thought he didn't know to whom he was speaking. But he was actually asking, oh, I know you're number one. I know you're second in command of the Enterprise. I would like to know your actual name. I didn't realize that's what he was asking. Thank you. Yeah. And so they cemented it. And she says it. It's on her little data pad as she's recording something as Spock gets on there. Uh, And so, yeah, now we know Una is canonically her name. And apparently Una also has a food synthesizer protocol named after her. Yeah. (laughs) Um, we, we get to see, we get to explore more than number one character in this episode as well, which I really enjoyed because off that pilot, we don't know, we know so little about her and we saw a little bit more of her in discovery. We know she's very meticulous 
And yeah, let's show, they show that here as she's narrating the intro here. She's or narrating something on her pad. Um, she pauses and says something like, she's arriving right he now, like two seconds later. There he is. And she's very meticulous in her schedule throughout the day, apparently. Do you think, I mean, she, she is very meticulous in her observations of other people as well. And mm-hmm. she shared some of her observations about Christopher Pike with Spock. Do you think she has a crush on Pike? Because I think Spock picked up on that. Well, they certainly alluded to it. Uh, Spock Spock made a comment saying that she, she pays close attention to him and she gets this nervous look. She kind of panics and immediately immediately calls engineering. It's like, how much longer? How much longer? Kind of moment. Yeah, she was flustered like she was cornered by that question and she definitely wanted to escape that situation. Uh-huh. Now, it, it, it truly is leave it up to the viewer, but it, to me, it certainly implied that she felt closer to him in any case. That's interesting. I don't think we saw that in season two of Discovery, but we did see so little of this character that there's lots of you know blank slates to work with there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think of the Q&A scene? Like, the montage of Q&A <laughs> implied they were there for hours. I was wondering how long that was because Spock's questions are so detailed and lengthy, and her answers seem to be relatively curt by comparison. So... They could have been there for just one hour, and he still could have fired off a lot of questions in that time. For sure. He, he asked, like, am, well, she was like, I want you to be asking questions to the point of annoyance or something like that. And he's like, am I getting annoying to you? She's <laughs> like, no, you're just getting deep. <laughs> something like that. Some of the questions were, you know, very functional regarding, like, warp dynamics and the like. Others seemed to be quite philosophical as well. Yes, my favorite of a whole bunch was totally calling out Star Trek fans. Spock asks her the question that people talk about, has been talking about in communities for years. And he asks, I actually wrote it down specifically just so I can mention this. He asks her, have you ever considered that the prime directive is not only not ethical, but also illogical and perhaps morally indefensible? And she responds, no, Spock, I have not. And for the sake of your own sanity, might I suggest you cease doing so immediately? (laughs) Why do you think she said that? Uh, I mean, I, it didn't occur to me that that was calling out the fans, but you're right. That is definitely a question that we have debated for years. And I don't mean you and me specifically. I just mean in fandom. Oh, she was totally just making a nod. Like she's, it's, it's when Star Trek is breaking the, I don't know, third and a half. It's not quite fourth wall, but totally referencing the viewers and the fans. Like you're thinking too much into this. Like have some problem problematic. And it's used as a story device, not necessarily as a law, uh, even if it yeah, exactly it's that. And so, like, just have fun with it. But in the Enterprise season two episode, Dear Doctor, I mean, Captain Archer and Flocks have a very lengthy debate about oh. what to do because there is no prime directive at that point, and they're trying to figure out should we intervene and save the species of uh, sentient beings that is dying. And you yeah, know, so so those sort of debates that. Spock is suggesting have occurred and meaningfully and reasonably so. Yeah, uh, it's it's. I was reading up on some more discussion just to make sure I was caught up, and people were like, you know, like this is kind of built. They're trying to be in creating this for the show. They're trying to be anti-colonial, colonial for the show, and you know that part has good merits, but also like at one point is but still just the show debates for years, like. When should you? When should you not? In that episode in particular, one race was dying out, uh, and the other, and the more or less subservient race on a planet was uh, 
going to be the dominating species if nothing was done. And, or, but, but there's been countless ones. There's been countless episodes where captains totally disregard the prime directive. Kirk and Janeway uh, are the predominant uh, ones who would uh, break that law or rule law suggestion, <laughs> depending on the episode. Yeah. And even in season two of Discovery, I highly objected to the Discovery basically doing a mass experiment on the entire species of Kelpians by forcing them to evolve. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I understand the plot reason and it worked out great and I was happy with the result, but f- coming from the perspective of the prime directive, I don't think they should be doing that. And also uh, you, you know, you mentioned Janeway and Kirk and I, I agree with those, but also even uh, in Picard's era, Star Trek insurrection, he was not involved in a prime directive violation directly he didn't initiate it but that was a civil war between those two people Mm -hmm. and starfleet intervened because they needed a natural resource from that planet and so i i was surprised to hear number one suggest that we shouldn't question this you know most captains seem to kind of take it as do no harm unless you know as best you can do no harm but you know whatever (laughs) that's enough to i mean we can have a whole episode on that and then and not agree or disagree on anything. I says, yep, that is a point. Yep, that is a different point. <laughs> you know, I, I realized that I just inadvertently got involved in the exact kind of debate that number one was telling us not to have. Exactly. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess I just proved her point, though. That's, that. Yes, that was my goal. <laughs> right, and you did well. Well, thank you. <laughs> Let's talk about our favorite moment, or at least my favorite moment. I hope it was yours, too. Uh, yeah, what, what was that? There was a scene where Spock w- was called out on his smiling, and Una basically said, uh, I would never tell you not to be yourself, and I understand that you are half human, but you also, if you are striving for command, you need to keep your freaky to yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, well, there are a couple of points to that. One is, I kind of thought Spock had already learned that when baby Burnham basically yelled at him and called him a monster, and you should not be try to be human. Uh, but he apparently is still struggling with his emotions. Uh, and also, they called him out that he was on the command track, which I thought was interesting because we do eventually see Captain Spock. And in the uh, Kelvin timeline, at this point, I think he's already a commander. When he and Kirk first met, he was a commander helping run the Kobayashi Maru. And here he's only an ensign. Is that correct? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so he and Una connect on that level and Uno says let me show you my freaky and I really thought this was going to be the point where we see the fan theory that she is not human you know I didn't know I, I don't think I've ever heard that or if I have I've long forgotten it I think it's mostly in the novels that she is extremely long-lived and that can explain why for example she looks like Troy's mother for example ah uh, uh, <laughs> I like it but to confess I haven't actually read those books so I don't know the details of the theory except what you might find on memory beta. Gotcha, gotcha. But what were you expecting her to reveal in that moment? I really did not know. I, I had no clue, to be honest. Um, she was she got very close to him when she said, like, okay, or something like that. And like, the scene was cut. Like, the two characters are standing very close to each other. I didn't think it was going to be anything like a kiss or anything like that. But beyond, but I think it almost felt like they were alluding to it. They were a very intimate moment is what it was. But I had no idea what she was going to do. And all of a sudden, she breaks out into Pirates of Penzance. I know. She starts singing Gilbert and Sullivan. Like, apparently her freaky is that she's a Broadway musical aficionado. Well, we, we don't know specifically. Either she likes to sing, or she knows that song very well, or she is a, like a, a fan of the, of the uh, what was it, like a minor operatic? I don't know what people call it, a play. 
Maybe she loves plays. We don't know exactly what her freaky is, but she's really good at singing uh, that song, which I can't remember the title of it, but everyone knows it. But it's okay for Starfleet officers to have hobbies. I mean, even Chief O'Brien loved putting ships in bottles, and that didn't scare anybody. But then again, he wasn't on the command track either. But we know Picard loves horses, and so why can't you be on the command track and like Gilbert and Sullivan? She didn't say you can't. She just, uh, she has this appearance. She says, uh, she told him uh, she'd never tell Spock to, not, to stop smiling. Just be aware of how one is perceived by comrades. Uh, this is her. She, she's very, we, we know she's always very straight cut, you know, very precise in what she says kind of thing. And she she's the one who gets the job done. And she doesn't like to let loose in front of other people. That is definitely fitting with her character. And when you put it like that, I can see how, for some reason, she feels the need to be... S- well, you know what? We actually saw that same thing with Picard, now that I think of it, where he never joined the poker table until All Good Things, the series finale at the end of season seven. Yeah. And maybe she's doing that same thing, just trying to be somewhat cold and aloof, not to be mean or cruel, but just to maintain that professional distance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that actually scene was my favorite as well. I wrote that down and telling her, telling Spock to keep the learn to keep his freaky butt to himself. I, I really liked the conclusion to that scene where they ended up singing and laughing together. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was great. That was great. I did not see that coming from a mile away because she had just told him, keep your freaky to yourself. And we, I don't think in Discovery we've ever seen Spock laugh. And, you know, even in the original series when he did, it was very rare and often due to the result of some sort of an alien or biological influence. And so to just see him let down his barrier for his commanding officer who he just met on the first day on the job, you know, I, I honestly can't say if it was in character, but I loved it. And I, I just, I thought it was a wonderful moment between these two characters. Oh, yeah, they were totally sharing a moment. I, I, they, they'd been stuck in there for a while and just being uh, intimate on a, a close level, like not, not sexually, just intimate closely, sharing the whole thing. Here and yeah, no, it made sense to me. I didn't expect it, but it made sense to me. Because then he starts singing back to her because she ends and she almost ends her song, kind of pauses quite like, abruptly. And she's like, oh, was that too far? And then he starts singing up and then they laugh. It's great. We'll never know. But I wonder if he already knew that song or if he was just parroting her. Yeah. And then when, once they get rescued, she tells him, I want a hole in your memory where this happened. <laughs> the person who I was watching the short track with said, why? Why would you want him to forget that? It was so wonderful. Essentially just telling him, don't you ever repeat this or I will kill you. <laughs> but even when they were on the bridge, that memory gap. Pretend it didn't happen. Yeah. Is what she means. Yeah, but like she acted like she hadn't even escorted him to the bridge. Uh-huh. Whereas, you know, clearly there were people who rescued her and can see that they were together for a while. Uh-huh. Apparently Pike didn't know that. Right. But what I mean was that number one was putting forth a falsehood that was very easily disproven. Yeah. She's just, it, it was, you know, it's just, don't you dare tell a soul. It's just like a sibling, like, you know, beating each other up or something like that. Or I don't know. I can't think of a context. Just like telling someone like, don't you dare tell a soul. Everyone knows you had a moment. <laughs> you know, most people know like you were together or whatever like that. But no, I didn't see anything wrong or funky about that and they shared some knowing glances on the bridge which was nice uh-huh especially when pike asked spock do vulcans ever feel awe and spock said we do but we keep it to ourselves and he looked right at her and i think he was in awe of her and her mm-hmm. ability to relate to him oh it's exactly what they were pushing exactly what they were saying i like that anything else about this short trek there was one more thing go ahead 
people were getting up in arms about the uniforms because of timing of discovery and era and whatnot. I, I, don't worry about it. Just enjoy it. They were wearing TOS uniforms, right? Yeah, but, they, but Discovery, there was also the timeline of Discovery with their Discovery uniforms. And I think Pike had made a comment when Enterprise comes on, like, yeah, we've got the new uniforms. What do you think? And I think people would just... Uh, don't focus on that. Just enjoy the episode for what it is. Oh, I see what you mean. So I thought the Discovery uniforms were the new ones. No, no, it was the TOS ones. Oh, I forgot about that. That's interesting. Huh. I wonder how long before Discovery this episode was set. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the exact years years or whatever like that, but Spock's early career has never been really, at least in the Prime universe, never really closely uh, explained. And so we don't know exactly how long he's on there. But as an ensign, but who knows, whatever. Well, I strongly suggest you not ask yourself that question and you put it out mm-hmm. of your mind immediately. It doesn't, honestly, it doesn't matter. I love Star Trek. I love knowing facts. And I love talking about it with you, which we will be doing again shortly because we are behind in our short treks. We have another episode to review, but we'll be doing that in a separate episode of Transporter Lock. No, I really, I really enjoyed this one. I, I'm happy to see more Pike. I'm happy to see more number one. And I'm also happy to see more Spock. Yeah, we had heard that they hadn't broken down that set, and I was wondering to what degree we would see Captain Pike. And the answer is little of Pike himself, but definitely the Enterprise is in full force here. So that was fun to see. Yeah. So in the meantime, a uh, brief apology if there was any background noise. I'm actually here in Rotterdam in the Netherlands with my coworker. So this is the farthest apart we've ever been, Sabriel. Seven hours apart. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, it's almost like an episode of Star Trek. I can tell you what the future is like. <laughs> yeah, tell me that. You know, be like Australians and have good integrity and don't tell the future. I will probably claim to be Canadian while I'm here because that will give me a better reception. And I'm glad I watched the short treks before I got here because they don't have short treks in the EU. Unless you find backup manners. Which we don't do on this show. <laughs> All right. We. Well, <laughs> okay. There is no I in Borg. <laughs> there is no we in um, you. All right, Captain. <laughs> Until next time. Hit it. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com. <laughs>